Thank you for listening to sermons by Chaplain Braswell. This ministry desires to help people know and live for Christ through the preaching of God's Word. And now, today's message. Well, good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? I tell you what, I am grateful for a praise band that I know loves Jesus and works hard to make sure that we can worship. Yeah. It is a it's a blessing. I don't know if you know this, but being able to come and be led in worship by people who care about you, by people who care about the Lord, is a true blessing, and I'm grateful for it. Let me lead you guys in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much that you uh, have brought us here. Lord, we pray that we would um, put this service in your in your hands, that you would be the one that is uh, glorified, that we would walk out of here being edified by your word, that your word would not return void as you have promised it would not. Lord, if nothing else, let the scripture speak uh, to our hearts. Help us to build our lives upon you because you are a firm foundation. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, if you've got your Bibles, which I hope you do, or a Bible app, or you've just memorized the scripture perfectly, uh, please open up to Matthew chapter 13. We're going to be looking at a parable in verse 24 through 30, but we're really going to be looking as we get into it. We're going to look at 36 through 47. So if you want to listen to the parable, and then where we're going to dig in is 36 through 47. Okay? So as you're getting there, I want to talk to you about this parable a little bit. I want to talk to you about uh, why are we reading this. We have this whole uh, series. We're doing life-giving lessons. That's what it's called, right? Life-giving lessons from the parable of Jesus. And today's lesson is going to be primarily for the kingdom of God. It's going to be primarily for those of you who love and serve Jesus Christ. So if that's you, say amen. Amen. Then good. We're here in the right place, and we're going to enjoy some time together. So... One of the things we don't want to do for a parable is we don't want to read it and assign our own meaning to it. Does that make sense? And that we, we, a lot of people, they have a really, you really want to because you read a parable and you say, oh, what I think this means is. And my old hermeneutics teacher would say, I don't care what you think. What does the Bible say? What does the scripture mean? I'd be like, well, in my opinion, he would stop me. I don't care. Why do I care what your opinion is? I want to know what the writer of the parable had to say. Why is it here? So what we have is that Jesus had come into his ministry. He'd started his ministry, and the Old Testament had provided a whole lot of prophecies about who the Messiah would be. And Jesus had fulfilled a a huge amount of these prophecies, and he was claiming to be the fulfillment of the prophecies of the Old Testament. And there was a lot of people looking and saying, okay, so this is the kingdom of heaven. Because the Messiah said, as we read in Daniel beforehand, that there was going to be a Messiah that was going to come, and he was going to create a kingdom of heaven, and that kingdom would be for how long? Forever. Forever. That it would never fall. It would be forever. So Jesus is showing up, and he's doing the things that the Old Testament said he would do, saying he's the Messiah, and we got a lot of people who have mixed reviews on how that's going. Right? So you got John, uh, John the Baptist, who sends, he's in prison for this whole deal. He's about to be killed over this 
proclaiming the coming of the Messiah, and he sends his people to go see Jesus and says, hey, are you the guy that I'm about to die for, or do we need to keep looking? Yeah. Right? Jesus' brother and his mother come, and they're concerned. you got people following him, and then you got this whole group of people that say, we expected something else. I had a completely different expectation. So what did the Jews, who were under the oppression of the Roman rule, expect the Messiah to do? They expected him to show up on his white horse and kill the Romans. Yep. Set up a new Jerusalem right here on earth. So as I talk to uh, young married couples who are coming to me for counseling, there's this thing called un realized expectations. What they really are is unspoken expectations. The problem is that Jesus spoke, well, God spoke what to expect from Jesus for yep. quite some time. He's going to be the suffering servant, and he's also going to be the conquering hero. He's going to destroy sin and death, and he's also going to be uh, afflicted and persecuted and spit on and killed. And he'd been, he'd explained this for you know, thousand years at this point, right? This is coming. You got writings from 700 years ago saying he would be the suffering servant. He's showing up and everybody's saying, I expected something, right? So if you have ever, how many of y'all are married? You've been married for longer than one year. You need to be married for longer than one year. Okay. Unrealized expectations, unspoken expectations, right? So when I first got married, I'm not going to get in trouble with this one. I don't think. Let's, let's test it, right? When I first got married, Saturday had expectations. There were expectations about Saturday, right? You go to school, you go to work, all week long, and I had expectations for Saturday. And here's my expectations for Saturday. Wake up whenever I want. I'm young, which hasn't changed. My, I'm, still, I'm not young anymore, but I still want to wake up whenever I want. I have kids now, so pfft. That's gone, right? So my expectation was I'm going to wake up whenever I want. I will crawl down the stairs, turn on a movie or a football game, get some sweet tea or some coffee, and find some deep, deep couch sitting. And that's what Saturdays were for. So that's my expectation for Saturday. Rachel, who I love, is beautiful, is wonderful. I love everything about her. Had other expectations for Saturday. It was wake up first thing in the morning as fast as you can. And as soon as you get up, be moving at 700 miles an hour in order to intentionally finish every chore that anyone has ever experienced ever before 9 a.m. so that then you can relax for the rest of the day. Right? Two expectations. One was not met. Which one do you think it was? It's mine, right? Well, I would do what I was expecting, but how do you think that was received? Poorly, right? And then when my expectation to sit on the couch and be a big old potato for the whole day became working on chores, how did I do that, re respond? Not well. So this is what we have on a much grander scale. Jesus has been promised... For hundreds to a thousand years, well, since the beginning of time, there is going to come a man who's going to destroy Satan and it's going to bruise his heel and it's been pr promised forever and he shows up and everybody's going, you're not doing what I thought you were going to do. Right. 
Why aren't you meeting my expectations? So Jesus tells a group of parables. There's this group of parables that he tells, and they are about the kingdom of heaven. This is what you should expect. This is what to expect from the kingdom of heaven. And in those parables is the parable of the sower, the parable of the mustard seed, which we did last week. The parable of the sower was from last week. The parable of the mustard seed and the leaven, the parable of the hidden treasure, the parable of the net. And then today we're going to talk about the parable of the wheat and the weeds. And what we're trying to say is when you pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, what are you praying for? Jesus says, this is what you're praying for. When you pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. This is what to be praying for. Yeah. You with me so far? Yep. So here's the parable. So he put, And this is Matthew 13, 24 through 30. He put another parable before them saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were away, so, while he, I'm sorry, I got mixed. I'm dyslexic, by the way. And it's back. Okay. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, then do you want us to go gather them? But he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reaper, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat in my barn. So this is the parable. There's a landowner. He owns a big farm. He's probably a wealthy landowner, considering he has people that work for him. He's got... Which means he can afford to buy good seed without weeds in it, right? Yep. So he goes out, he plants the field, but this guy has an enemy. And he has a pretty dangerous enemy. And that enemy came in in the night and planted weeds in his farm. So instead of wheat, he's growing wheat and weeds. So then his servants come up and go, well, did you get ripped off? <laughs> did 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 you do a bad job picking your seeds? He says, no. What I planted was good seed. This was an enemy. Now, so do we go tear it all up? He says, no, you're going to ruin the harvest. If you go tear up the weeds, leave it there at the harvest. We'll separate it. We'll burn the weeds. That's the parable, right? Yep. So normally, so in some instances, not, not normally, but in some instances, we would have some detective work to do, right? You would have to be like, so what's the historical context here? What's the cultural clues? What's the, why is this being written? What's going on here? Yada, 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 yada. But sometimes we have it easy. Yep. And Jesus just tells us what he means. Yep. It's not a matter of, so uh, who are the characters? What are they doing? Jesus just tells us what, what he means. And that's what you have in verses 36 through 47. You got the story. Now we're going to get what does it mean, okay? And what we're going to find out, here are the questions we're going to answer. You ready? What does the kingdom of heaven look like in the here and now? And how is the war for this kingdom being fought? That's what we're answering today. What does the kingdom of heaven look like in the here and now? 
And what does the war for this kingdom look like? Which brings me to my first point, that the kingdom of God consists of the believers who have been placed in the world by Jesus. We get this where it says, The one who sowed the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. So who is the Son of Man? And we read Daniel 7, 13 through 14 earlier, and, and it describes who the Son of Man was. It says, I saw in the night, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days, and he was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and kingdom, that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is, on everla- is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So who is the Son of Man? He is the king of the whole world. He is the one that has the entire world placed under his dominion, and his kingdom will never pass away. Who is the Son of Man? It is Jesus. Jesus is the one that plants. Jesus is the one who sows his kingdom into this world, right? So you're like, so what am I supposed to do? So far, who's doing all the work? It's okay. It's Sunday school answer. This time it's the right one, right? It's Jesus. Jesus plants his kingdom into the world. He put it there. So we see the one who sows is Jesus. You're like, well, we got that, Jeremiah. That was clear to start with. So what is the good seed? They're the sons of the kingdom. What we run into is that most people will have read the parable of the sower first. And having read the parable of the sower, we'll say the seed is the message. It's the word of God. The, 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 the gospel is the seed. And so therefore they mess up this entire parable. Because this parable tells us directly who are the seed, what's the seed? The seed is the sons of heaven. It is not the message. It's not the word. It's the sons of heaven. So who are the sons of heaven? If you look at Matthew 8, 8 through 11, well, we're just going to look at 11. Um, this is the story where there is a Roman centurion who has a daughter who is sick. And he is asking for Jesus to go heal his child. And he says, I'll come to your house. And he says, well, you don't understand. I'm not your typical follower of Jesus. I am a Roman. And he says, just say that she's healed and you have the power and she'll be healed. And he says, well, Jesus says, I haven't seen this faith in all of the typical followers of me. And then he says this in verse 11. It says, I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. So who are the seeds? The good seed that God is placing in the world are all of those who have faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So what do we have to do to be in the kingdom of heaven? We need to have faith that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. Now, both are important. 
He can't be your Savior and not your Lord. Does that make sense? Can't be like, save me, but I'm not going to follow you. But all of us who have the faith to follow Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior are the kingdom of heaven. They, we are the wheat. We are what he planted throughout the world. And we see that the land where he placed us is the whole world. So what does this mean? Why is this important, Jeremiah? Why are you telling me this? What can I do with this? What is God's plan for his kingdom? So who here believes that Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior? You can raise your hand. There we go. It's you. God's plan for his kingdom is you. Yeah. And then, and what I was going to look at later, you look at the parable of the mustard seed, the parable of the leaven, is it starts off real small, yeah. and then it grows to be astronomically big. How does it do that? How are we going to do that? How does it become so huge? No farmer plants seed in his field hoping it just chills. Yeah. Hoping it just exists. That's what little kids do with branches in your front yard. Right? They take branches off the tree. They dig a hole. They slap it in the ground. Say, Dad, there's a tree. No, that's not a tree. That's trash. I have to clean that up now, right? God didn't do that. He's not just taking dead things and just throwing it out somewhere and hoping it stays there. What's he hoping it does? It produces what? Fruit. And from that fruit, you will gather what? See, we got at least one farmer in the place. Wheat comes up, produces grain. Grain is also your seeds. You take out your seeds. You save it for more planting. What is God expecting of you? For you to do what? Show up to church? That's not the expectation, is it? No. We are expected to grow. So for one, are you growing? Yeah. Are you the same human being you were five years ago? Is your relationship with Christ the same as it was five years ago? God planted you and he planted you in the world with the intention that that kingdom would grow. How is that going to happen? You must grow, and then you must share the gospel. You must reproduce yourself in other people, right? See, there was this thing that used to happen back in the day. We'll call it a Wednesday. Way back when, when evangelism was done by every Christian. And then we started this whole little trend where it would be like, well, I'm going to invite people to church. So with the intention that... The pastor will share the gospel for you, yeah. right? But when you look in the Bible and you look throughout the scriptures, who was it that came into the ecclesia? Who was it that came into the gathering? Was it the lost or was it the fellowship? It was the fellowship, it was the fellowship right? It was those who believed in Jesus Christ came into the ecclesia, the church, what we now call the church gathering, yep. right? That's who showed up, and we showed up, and we high-fived each other, we hugged each other, we cried on each other's shoulders, we, we, we reveled in the gospel, we shared in the love of Jesus Christ, and then we dispersed into the world, and what did we do there? We shared the gospel. 
It didn't used to be the responsibility of the pastor or the chaplain to share the gospel throughout the world. It was the responsibility of the pastor or the chaplain, I guess, but mostly the pastor, to shepherd the flock who would then go into the world and they would share the gospel because the gospel had influenced their life so dramatically that they couldn't not. They would be like Jeremiah, your word I cannot hide within me because it burns like a fire. I have to spit it out. Does that make sense? That's who the church was and God took, and I think it's who it is. But if you're not excited to share the gospel, are you the good seed? If you're not growing and reproducing, God said, no, 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 no. I mean, they came to him. Did you plant bad seeds? No. Stop. I planted good seed. I did. We have an enemy, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But the good seed goes out, grows, and produces more seeds. Are you with me so far? It's us. It's the team. You, you, you can go into your units, and you can feel left alone. But you're not. That's why we gather together. We gather together so you're not alone. You have an entire world full of planted seeds that are on your team. They are following Jesus Christ with you. You're not by yourself. And whereas the world might look at you and say, I don't want to hear this word. When you come back here and you come back to the community, we're going to say, did you share the gospel? Well, I sure didn't. They hated me for it. And we're like, we love you. And we're going to gather you. And we're going to love on each other. So when we go back into the world, we say, I got some go behind me. What is the kingdom of God? Your kingdom come, your will be done. I pray for the seed to grow and to be in the world. The whole world. That's not just Jew. It's Jew, Gentile. It's not just Republican or Democrat. It's not just Cowboys fans and everyone else. It's not just Alabama fans. Rotate. Right? It's not just those guys and everyone else. It's everyone throughout the whole world. It's that leader that you look at and say, God, he's toxic and I hate him. That was the centurion. And God said, you have more faith than the Jews. You are part of the kingdom. You're not just a person that shows up to church on Sunday and then goes out into the world and the world is dominated by everything else. No, the world is under the leadership of the King of Kings and the King of Kings has placed you on purpose where you are to grow. So be planted and grow. That make sense? Well, we have an enemy though. We do have an enemy. If we move on to verse 38, through halfway through verse 38, point two says, The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. My next point is that the kingdom of God has a very real enemy known as the devil, who has placed agents within the kingdom. So if you think about having spies within 
the kingdom. This is what we're looking at. Right. So what does first Peter five, eight say about the devil? It says, be sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your brothers throughout the world. OK, John eight, 43 starts talking about those agents a little bit, I think. He says, why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and you will, and your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So what is the devil doing out there? He's lying, right? The devil has gone out to lie. And the thing is, he's a good liar, which means he takes what's true and twists it. Most times, this is my experience, he will take something that's good and twist it. And what he has done is he has come after us. What is his intention? What's his intention? Is it just to show up and make you accidentally tell a lie? Is it to make you show up and be dishonorable to those who you are placed above you? Is it to make you show up and do whatever your pet sin is? No. His desire is to destroy, to kill, to murder. He wants to destroy the kingdom. If you look at like what most people think was planted into this wheat, the, the, what most of the farmers would have known was the weed, is something called bearded darnell. Okay? You're like, oh, I know what that is, bearded darnell. No, you don't. Most, most of us have not spent a lot of time planting wheat, right? Well, what bearded darnell is, is it is a weed that looks exactly like wheat for the majority of its life. For the majority of the time that it's growing. And what it does is it grows and it just weaves together and grinds in together with whatever it's growing with. And if it's with the wheat, it weaves together with the wheat. And it looks as it is growing exactly like wheat until harvest time. Once harvest time comes, it creates this little bud at the very top that is toxic. And if you eat it, you'll die. Okay? So this, this guy, this enemy, who planted this bearded Darnell throughout the wheat, was his intention to be annoying? No. His intention wasn't to be annoying. His intention wasn't to be like, oh, that guy. No. His intention was to destroy and kill. Say, well, I don't, I don't really spend a whole lot of time thinking about the devil. Well, maybe you should. I don't give him very much consideration. Well, he's your enemy. He's after you. And what he has done is he's planted these weeds into the kingdom. Now, who are the kingdom? Those who confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So what are we seeing? We say that there are people who are among the kingdom of God who look... Just like Christians until the harvest. And at the end, their intention is to do what? Y'all with me? Their intention is to do what? Destroy. Destroy. Right? 
So we see uh, one, one experience where someone was called the son of the devil. Who are the sons of the devil? We, Acts 13, um, verse 9 through 10, you see an experience where Paul calls out someone as the son of the devil. Um, and what's going on is Paul is he's preaching the gospel as wheat would be doing. And he's going and trying to share the gospel. And there is this man off to the side and he is criticizing everything that Paul has to say, continually trying to rebuke what Paul has to say. And it says here in verse 9, it says, But Saul, who was also Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of, of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight path of the Lord? So what is this son of the devil trying to do? He's trying to make crooked the straight path of the Lord. And what is the straight path of the Lord? It is this, that all who call on the name of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior have been called by the Holy Spirit can be saved. Right. Jesus died, rose again, paying the penalty of all sin. Is that all sin except? No. Jesus died, paid the penalty of all sin. And then you look in Romans and it says, if you confess Jesus as Lord and you, and, and you believe that he died and rose to, from the dead and you decide to follow Jesus Christ, then you will be saved. How confusing is that? Is that confusing? Do you believe that Jesus died and was rose again? Yes. Can you confess him as the Lord of your life? Yes, then you can be saved. It's that simple. But I have a drinking habit. Can you confess that Jesus is Lord of your life? Yes, then you can be saved. But I'm really kind of a jerk and I'm not sure how to stop being a jerk. Can you confess Jesus as Lord? And do you believe he died and rose again? Well, yeah, then you can be saved. But you don't know what I did in my past. Can you confess Jesus as Lord? And do you believe that he rose from the dead? Yes. Then you can be saved. Fairly straight, right? Yeah. What these guys are doing is they are coming into the world. They are coming into the kingdom. And they are making that very straight, very simple thing. That, that understanding that my six and my eight-year-old completely grasp. And make it complicated and unbearable. That's what they do. Who are these guys? You guys haven't ever seen these guys, have you? No, you've never seen these guys that show up into a perfectly good worship service and say, okay, you can be saved as long as you quit drinking. You can be saved as long as you don't dance. Y'all never seen these people. You've never seen these people, right? They come in and say, oh, don't worry. You don't have to make him Lord. You can keep doing whatever you've been doing. Can you confess him as Lord? Not if you don't make him your Lord, right? They come in and they say, oh, Jesus loves everybody except for you. Look at the Bible. He said he hates you. So wait, wait, wait. Do you believe he was raised from the dead? Can you confess him with your, with your mouth that he is Lord and Savior? Yes. He don't hate you. 
People generally don't die for people they hate. The Lord of all creation has not died for people he hated. He died for those he loved. And that's you. There are lies out there. They come in and they say, follow Jesus, he'll make you rich. You'll be driving a Bugatti in the name of Jesus. Lies. Tell lies. They come in and say, Jesus was queer. That's the one I saw recently. Lies. They come in and lie and they make the straight path crooked. They make it hard to get to and they drive you off to the side. Or how about the guy who told my best friend and the whole world that hell was not eternal, it didn't exist, and that if he just hung on for long enough, he'd find his way to heaven anyways. Took my, my best friend who was trying to follow Jesus and just ran him right off the deep end. What do you think I want to do to that guy? I didn't join the military because I was afraid of violence. That's what I want to do to that guy. That's what I want to do to that guy. But what are we supposed to do to these guys? Right? So that's the thing, right? So what? So what? What am I supposed to do about these weeds that are growing up in the church? Do y'all feel like there might be weeds in the church? Anybody ever heard... The phrase, I used to want to go to church, but then Brother John did X. I used to want to follow Jesus, but the church was harmful to me and my family. Right? You ever seen that? Those are weeds. So what do we do about them? Hmm? Yeah, what do we do? It says right here, if I can, oh, I love electronics. Here we go. So the servant said to them, do you want us to go through and gather them? But he said, no. Let the, let the, no, lest the gathering of the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until harvest. What do I want to do to that guy that taught my best friend that there was no hell? Tear him out of the field. Tear him out of the, what's the field? The world. I want to. Let's just be honest, because my best friend is one of the people that is the most important to me in my whole world. I want him to follow Jesus Christ. He says, no, leave them where they are, lest you pull up the wheat while you're trying to pull up the weeds. Let me, where in this passage do you see the wheat, that's you, doing anything other than reproducing and creating more? That's all you're doing, right? You're reproducing and creating more and growing. That's what you're doing. Can you imagine the witch hunt that would happen if we unleashed you guys to go recognize the wheat and root them out? Can you? Because I came to this. I was having a hard time with this. I was, there's a such thing as church discipline, right? There's such things as if they don't refuse to repent, cast them out, treat them like the heathen Republican, right? There's such thing as calling out lies for truth, right? I can rebuke a lie and tell you the truth, right? 
That is the thing we are called to do. But what are we supposed to do? And I was having a hard time with this until I was sitting with one of my brothers in Christ. And I was like, well, it says to leave it here. And here's the wheat. And here's the, the weeds. And that's who the weed is. And he looks at me and goes, well, I had a man in my past that basically ran me out of the church. Do I label him a weed? And I, I honestly think the Holy Spirit was sitting with me and said, no, that is not for you to do. That is not your role. It is for you to know that there is an enemy. But you are not God, and you do not have the right to take on his personalities. God is in control. When you look at Romans chapter 12. It says, bless those who persecute you. Understand, this is how we're supposed to act as the wheat. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty. Be associated with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible... So far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay. Who is responsible for vengeance? God, not you. Not your job, not your role, not your responsibility. You don't have the right. But I really don't like them. That's your fault. Not your responsibility. You don't have the right. And I was talking to Rachel about the what 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 it looks like to re to forgive someone who isn't repentant and what where all this is. And we came to a conclusion that we never at any point have the right to hate. At any point in any position, you don't get to hate, and you don't get to be the one that decides the fate of a person's soul. Who does that? That's God, right? Could you imagine if someone were to see Saul before his conversion? Would he be a wheat or a weed? He would be a weed, but before the grace of God, he became the greatest church planner in the history of the world. You might just be running into the greatest church planner in the history of the world before his conversion, and you would want to tear him out. You might be running into a young Christian who just came to Jesus Christ full of victim vigor and zeal, and he's going out there telling everybody about hell, right? And you're like, okay, he needs discipling. He doesn't need to be ripped up and thrown away. You might have just tore up a promising Christian man or woman because you don't have the sight of the Lord. You don't have the Holy Spirit's inspiration to tell you what is a wheat or a tear. Does that make sense? He says, no, leave it there because you don't get the right to, to decide who is a wheat and who is a weed. So what do we do? Oh, well, that was point three, by the way. What do we do? I say we trust God. Point three is this. There is a prescribed end for the wheat and the weeds. The harvest is the end of the age. The reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, not the wheat, his angels. 
and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. So we have a future, right? If you are the one who persistently and consistently on every turn makes the straight path to the Lord crooked, there is an end in sight, and it is not a pleasant one. God said, take all those, put them off to the side, and they will be burned. There will be a place, and people want to say, no, let's not talk about hell. No, let's not talk about this. Guess what? The Bible talks about hell, so we talk about hell. Am I going to be up here fire and brimstone trying to scare you into heaven? No, but I want you to know the reality. I want you to know very real truth that if it is your lot in life to discourage people from Jesus Christ, Jesus, who said, My vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay, now understanding that wrath is also a part of per the personality of God, understanding that he created a place for the devil and his angels, says that's where those people will go. That's the end. On the other hand, if you feel beaten down by the enemy, but you are persevering, he says there is an end for you. And that end is to shine with the light of the Lord for all eternity. Now, who's looking forward to that? I am. I absolutely am. My son the other day, who when he was sick, he was super sick, and he just felt terrible. He says, I'd rather be in heaven. I was like, okay, buddy, let's slow that down a little bit. However... <laughs> However, I also look forward to the day where I am in the embrace of the God the Father, where my every life lives next to the Lord who decided to die and save me, where I get to walk, where there is no pain, where there is no suffering, right? But also knowing that those of you, those in this room who say, I would just rather not, he says, okay. And the other end is the absolute opposite of that. The absence of the Lord, and the absence of the Lord means that all good gifts come from God, and if you're in the absence of God, all good gifts are gone. If you're in the kingdom, your future is bright. Your present might not be, I'm sorry. But your future is bright. So what do we do? So what? What am I supposed to do with this? That means that there are people around you who look like they are Christians who are going to try to, to, to dissuade you from the gospel. Well, how do you beat that? Know the gospel. It is not enough to show up to church, take notes, and listen to your pastor because your pastor might be a weed. It is not enough to show up and listen to Brother John, Brother Paul, Brother whoever, because you don't know if they might be wrong. It is your responsibility to go into the world, to be in your scripture, to be on your knees in prayer, to be in the presence of the Holy Father, the, the Holy Spirit, to be in the presence of Jesus Christ on a daily basis, so that when we come in and we preach truth, you can amen us, high-five us, but it's not new. So that if I make a mistake or if I'm lying, you can say, Jeremiah, that, that part wasn't that. No, you, you're wrong about that. Which I'll tell you you're wrong because generally I'm right. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not kidding. 
<laughs> but it is your responsibility to read the scripture, to know the Lord, so that when someone comes in and says, Jesus hates, you can go, wait a second, I'm found, no, I know him. I spoke to him this morning, and no, he doesn't. So this is a call. What is this call to do? As the praise man comes up to, to do the last song, what is this a call to do? First of all, be aware. Be aware that you are a part of the kingdom and you don't have the right to just sit back and do nothing. There is no ability to sit back and do nothing. Be aware that you have an enemy who is coming after those who you would see come to Christ. Be aware that the end for you is a glorious one with Jesus Christ. And put your feet in the word of God and trust him. This is a call to be evangelists. This is a call to be scholars. This is a call to look at Jesus Christ as the most important thing in the world and dive into it. Trust the Lord and know that he is good.